Welcome to Millennial Murmurs, a podcast addressing millennial career questions, queries, and curiosities to help them navigate the jungle of the modern working world. Hello, everybody, and welcome to today's podcast on the topic of millennials in leadership. I'm your host, Nathan Peart, and today my guest is Malik Shipchandler. Malik started his legal career as a corporate associate in top Indian law firms before moving in-house and currently holds a dual role as general counsel and chair of the shadow board of directors at AdFactors PR. Also, just to note that all views are his own. Malik, welcome. Hi, Nathan. Thank you so much for having me here. I'm quite excited to be doing this. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you for joining us. I'd love to to dive in and just, you know, hear a bit about your background and career so far. Tell us a bit about yourself. Sure. So I actually belong to a family of uh, qualified but non-practicing lawyers. I Uh uh, grew up in the city of Dubai and then moved over to India to study law at the University of Pune, which you may have heard of, uh, you know, colloquially as the Oxford of the East. Uh-huh. I then went on to practice uh, financial, regulatory, and corporate law with uh, the magic circle equivalent firms in India, uh, one being Amarch and Mangaldas, and then the other one being Khetan. <laughs> I'm now associated with uh, India's largest communications consulting firm. It's called AdFactors, as you uh, rightly mentioned. My responsibilities uh, span to fulfilling duties of the general counsel as well as providing uh, strategic communications and public relations counsel to corporates facing reputation issues. Um, These typically include mandates where the public opinion in India becomes the arbiter of outcomes in uh, high stake litigations, uh, intense boardroom disputes, contested transactions, M&As, fundraisings, as well as policy advocacy. So Mm -hmm. uh, in in that sense, uh, I guess it can be called uh, and uh, and a a hybrid practitioner of, uh, you know, the court of law and and the court of public opinion. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's 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 just a little bit about me, Nathan. Nice. No, that's that's great. And it's it's funny, I think, you know, saying you came from a family of lawyers, I think people go, you know, I always hear two, two sort of directions, either people like yourself end up in the industry as well. Or people do like a complete three, well, 180, sorry, and, and uh, you know, switch through to something completely different. So um, I, I guess you you followed that route. And so, so was that, you know, why did you pursue a legal career? Like, was it because of your family? What, what inspired you to join practice? Well, uh, to be honest, uh, law wasn't my first preference. It was actually an afterthought. Um, so, you mm-hmm. know, as a 16-year-old, I had aspirations to become an, uh, an aerospace engineer you know, helping the Elon Musks and the Jeff Bezos getting people to space. Um, So while I did embark on that journey for about a year in uh, high school, uh, the science-related subjects didn't appear to be, uh, you know, my cup of tea. Um, At the time, I was really active in uh, competitive uh, simulations of the uh, model of the United Nations. They're often known as the model UNs. And, uh, you know, I thought, well, maybe if I can't get people to space, maybe I can at least try influencing people and nations to get people to space. And the idea behind choosing law back then was actually to enter the United, uh, to enter the United Nations. Uh, mm-hmm. that, that of course was the 16 year old me, but uh, as the saying goes, uh, you know, man proposes, God disposes. 
while yeah. I did study law and uh, qualify the bar. Uh, fast forward, uh, you know, five, six years as a 23 year old, seven years ago, I was drawn to other aspirations and opportunities in the transaction law sphere uh, with, with Merchant and then Khatan. Yeah. Fantastic. And then obviously, you, you know, you took a, a route that a lot of people do and, um, you know, sort of went outside of big law into to making a move in house, which a lot of people want to do. Uh, what was your experience of that like? Was it everything you expected? Um, or was it, you know, I'm sure there were some surprises there as well. <laughs> so that's another interesting story. Uh, my, my, my switch over. Um, it actually wasn't premeditated, uh, Nathan. I took a sabbatical, uh, to be honest, to set up a small uh, passion venture, a startup uh, along with my mom. Uh, we're both uh, wristwatch buffs. So we mm -hmm. set up a, a wristwatch design company that crafts watches using miniature Lego bricks. It was actually oh, cool. during this uh, sabbatical and after the venture was on its feet that I uh, met the founder of Ad Factors. And you know, one thing led to another and, and here I am. Yeah. Um, um, I think what I'd like to mention is that, uh, you know, since since I'm now a hybrid practitioner of, of law and reputation management, I think what what made this transition so seamless is that the basic skills a lawyer learns during law school and, and through through work experience is broadly, uh, you know, how to ask the right questions, how to identify an issue or, or, or a problem, how to approach research, uh, how to craft a solution. And most importantly, um, how to communicate meaningfully. Um, and I think it's these basic skills that you know made the transition almost seamless. Um, in 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 addition, uh, at factors as an organization, and the founders personally, uh, you know, embrace diversity of thought and skill set. And mm. I think that's what's allowed me to you know sort of really learn and uh, exponentially grow at the same time. Yeah, I think what I love about that story as well is that you know. People, I think you're constantly trying to plan, you know, aspects of your career, aspects of your life. And it's it's just those random interactions that you sometimes have that lead to something I think is so cool. Yes. Um, yes. You know, I, I don't think there's a way really that you could have foreseen when you were, at, you know, in practice that um, you would have this meeting, you know, basically through through a passion that you, you're trying this new venture um and and then Absolutely. sort of strike that connection and it, it and it turns into to something great um you know and i love those stories i think they just highlight of you know the importance of of networking and knowing people and and being open to dialogue and conversation um you know it, it's a really good way to to advance yourself i think i think it's it's i think what's what's most important uh what the the learning has been is that how Importable and how transferable the our, our skills as 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 lawyers are, and you know often you know people tend to get a little you know sandboxed into you know doing a certain kind of role, um, but I think if you as I mentioned if you look at some of the baser skills as as lawyers they're really quite transferable to to any kind of role or or any other kind of uh, an industry. So, for example, when I did um, you know watch watch designing for a while, you know I think that eye for detail or you know having that little bit of you know being meticulous i think it played mm. an extremely important role or you know communicating with you know factories you know back in hong kong um you know you have to be absolutely spot on about what you want 
and you don't realize but a lot of your training you know then actually comes unconsciously into into play at that point so yeah. uh, absolutely yeah those they, again adding to your skill sets it's not just like finishing education and there you go um you know it it is building on those in ways that you don't that aren't always obvious at the time um and i guess just sort of getting through that that journey and that experience um and so how how's the pandemic been for you at work i mean um you know obviously sort of very conscious of, of the situation in india at the moment as well and um you know deep thoughts and prayers go to, to everybody there but but how has it been work-wise for you so actually um you know as ironic as it may sound that the pandemic and the lockdown has actually unlocked a lot of opportunity at a personal and a professional level uh, the fact that you know we were able to connect and do this podcast is a testament to that nathan um mm. uh, personally you know while the obvious boon of the pandemic and the and the work from home protocols is that you're able to spend more time with family particularly in an industry where our hours can get quite long and you know for lawyers it's more like living at work rather than work from home but <laughs> but uh, uh, you know jokes apart i think it's also uh, allowed me to become manage uh, become better at managing both um it's also allowed me to pick up certain other skills through intensive lnd programs in the last year in in a city like you know mumbai where you can spend up to 2 to 3 hours you know just commuting to and fro work all the time mm. can now be put to such good use um and most importantly i think is generally made us all more uh, resilient patients and generous towards those at home and in the office professionally uh, you know with with minimal boundaries on time and geography uh, you know coupled with the economic impact of the pandemic leading to so many corporate actions occurring across the board um at least we've been quite busy touchwood um in fact Uh, just for perspective at factors actually registered a growth in the last year last wow. but uh, not the least as a millennial uh, what's been truly exciting is to see how the pace of technological inventions and their adoption by organization across the world uh, including ours has you know kind of uh, just uh, taken taken pace yeah. um uh, yeah and i think i'll just maybe conclude that response by saying that what 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 remains is what remains a miss is that personal touch with clients as well as with you know teams internally uh, particularly for those uh, you know who have joined us uh, during the pandemic absolutely i definitely feel like you know especially as a millennial right i think we're going through this experience i mean obviously everybody is but this experience of figuring out what this new world will look like in terms of hybrid working and you know missing some interaction and joining parts of working from home as you say you, i i feel like work is always a part of your life at the minute and it's trying to take a step away and find that balance but in in also in a new way um when there's kind of nothing else to do um and it is it's something that i don't feel like we've concluded yet and you know i'm sure I'm sure nobody has that in the next next couple of years this will really sort of you know level and we'll figure out what the new normal is but it's definitely you know i'm very conscious sometimes that we're sort of living through all of this and um, and what that is and we still don't know lots of things um you know even though yes. obviously vaccines are all yes. out and things like that so it's it's a very strange feeling um yeah. and you you've had some recent success as well you know i saw you were and you mentioned voted as as 
sort of chairperson for for your company's millennial board. And I think that's really interesting, um, you know, especially as millennials grow into leadership roles and and start sort of being at the helm more of organizations and have that impact culture. So can you tell us a bit about that? What what it is and, and what sort of things that you do? Sure. So the Millennial Board is an industry first initiative globally amongst the communication and uh, consulting firms. It's, uh, you know, a colloquially known as, you know, a shadow board of directors, although I personally prefer referring it to as a mirror board of directors, Nathan, because it's mm-hmm. really that in the true sense, you know, where the Millennial Board works with the actual board in providing millennial perspectives to drive the organizational agendas of the firm. The the Millennial Board uh, at at Factors, um, you know, comprises of, uh, you know, uh, various subcommittees and these provide perspectives and undertake actions on issues ranging from, you know, growth strategy, uh, growth strategies to digital transformation from learning and development programs to uh, diversity and inclusion and from organizational culture to fostering an environment for uh, innovation. My role as the chairman is to work with, uh, you know, the 15 most brilliant and diverse individuals of the thousand people at Ad Factors in achieving all of this. Uh, and more importantly, being that bridge between the millennials and the uh, senior leadership. Yeah, fantastic. And do you like, why do you think that's important to, to have that voice? And, you know, how has that been received? So, yes, that's a great question, and uh, I actually feel very strongly about this subject, uh, Nathan. And I'll I'll proceed my response with some publicly available data. Um, more than half of the world's population is under the age of 30. More than half of the global workforce uh, comprises of millennials. Um, mm-hmm. Yet, more than half of the 500 S&P companies have no directors at the age of 50 or under. To add to that, 80% of executives uh, believe that their business models are at a risk to be disrupted in the future. Now, a couple of things, uh, you know, that that, uh, I I would like to share that comes out of this uh, data. First, and, you know, while there's enough commentary already being made on this, um, I'd like to emphasize that in this technologically advanced era where our world is getting closer to, you know, literally a black mirror episode, I think millennials are uniquely positioned to understand and ensure adoption of technologies in corporates to ensure not only their growth, but also their survival. Second, because millennials comprise half the workforce, at, and actually at Ad Factors, it's about 80 to 85% of our employee strength of, of 1,000 people, um, millennials are in a unique position to understand what the aspirations and challenges of, of, of the workforce are. Third, uh, because, again, uh, because millennials comprise more than half of the world's population and global workforce, what that implies is that a majority of consumers, that is, you know, buyers of goods or services, are also millennials. And from a corporate's perspective, who better to understand that mindset, you know, that those, those preferences, those challenges, those priorities, other than a millennial him or herself. Fourth is that 
what the data also shows is that the average leadership of across organizations has also generally reduced uh, you know over the course of the last two decades and most of the companies of the future the startups the unicorns the spac listed companies all are run by millennial founders and cxos having mm. that millennial voice at a higher level in your organization helps the management in better relating to such younger and disruptive companies you know particularly when such companies are your are your clients or 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 stakeholders and lastly uh, nathan um, if you notice uh, stakeholder expectations investor expectations are now moving towards you know principles of what they call as esg basically companies that uphold certain value systems and principles and that's i think going to result in a tectonic shift in not only the way businesses raise money from investors but also conduct their businesses in general and millennials as a cohort are largely aligned with these esg principles because they're always looking for a cause or a value system to to actually work for rather than just the just the, the role designation or or the or the or the money so I think for all of these reasons, uh, I think it's it's important to have um, you know I think a voice at the at the high level in in organizations, and um, I think I did proceed this you know with a caveat that I f I feel quite strongly about this, and uh, hence the elaborate response. <laughs> no, I I agree. I mean, I think so many things stood out there for me, and especially those statistics at the start. Um, you know, I think the, the companies in the world is changing. Um, and I think there are certain sectors, as you say, that, you know, are technologically advanced and, and you know, sort of um, push forward cultural change and things like that. And if your consumers, you know, are, are becoming sort of a different generation, then you have to adapt to that. Um, and I think it's a two-way street as well. I think that, you know, for, for sort of, upper generations it gives them an opportunity to tap into that mindset and and hear you know perhaps some radical views on on certain things but i also think for you know millennials and 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 you know future gen z's that it gives them an opportunity to get exposure develop leadership skills and and just see a different Absolutely. side to company life a lot earlier on and i think that's important again for you know, attrition and to um, plan and think about. That's a good direction. point, actually. It's 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 actually a way of even for corporates to go about their uh, succession planning, because Absolutely. if you, if I mean, I don't have exact data, but I remember reading that most CEOs of uh, companies uh, are usually people who've been with the organization for an extremely long period of time. Uh, lateral yeah. recruitments at the CEO level are generally very, very rare. So, um, you know, uh, having millennial boards, one, it's a way to identify what we call as hypos or, or high, high potential candidates. And two, as you mentioned, uh, you know, grooming them for uh, future leadership roles. So, yes, that's, that's, that's a very valid point, Nathan. Yeah, and I just love that intersection, intersection of thought and, um, and experiences of, of how they clash. And I think that's you know, I guess sort of use a bit of an analogy earlier when you were talking about, um, you know, space and things like that. It's it's when two things collide and, and something interesting comes out of it, you know, there's an explosion. I think that's, that's really, um, there's, there's a lot in there. Um, and so 
what you know if you think about companies that aren't doing this i mean what do you think you know having had that experience of your own millennial board um that companies are missing um i guess some of it is sort of what what changes do you think have been made but but what are these companies missing that they're not they're not adopting this kind of model so i think it's it's largely a summation of what we were previously discussing uh, nathan um you know the 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 risk is that um the companies may not you know adopt technologies as fast as they should be in this uh, vuca world you know uh, resulting in you know either becoming redundant or at the least becoming um, you know inefficient um two is um you know as as i as i mentioned uh, perhaps not understanding the aspirations or or priorities of their own uh, workforce uh, because you know as organizations get larger uh, it's it's always helpful to to have that bridge between the senior leadership and and your larger larger workforce um we we of course discussed that um i think there may also be a risk of you know losing or rather having lesser relatability to some of the newer businesses that are emerging uh, and you know which are which are now being run by by millennial founders or or cxo themselves and uh, lastly um, and sorry at the cost of repetition but because esg is getting so much of traction particularly with the with the with the investor community i think because millennials you know always seem to stand for you know some sort of a cause or a value system i think it will nudge companies towards you know adopting a certain esg principles and that will actually help them uh, you know with with their with their fundraising aligning investor uh, expectations uh, and why just investor expectations it can also be your vendors and and and, and other partners as the entire world moves towards uh, you know esg compliance yeah absolutely no i uh, i agree and you know from what you've seen so far in in your career i mean how do you think millennials are shaping the legal industry you know we we've, we've spoken a lot about tech and everything like that but i always feel the legal industry is it's somewhat behind others or i guess a bit more risk averse so have you seen anything particularly in your your new role um that that you think is important to highlight so again uh well it relates more to technological adoption even when it comes to the legal industry uh, specifically nathan and uh, personally at uh, at factors um you know we've been now driving an an agenda for you know automating our uh, you know our entire contract management software bringing in artificial intelligence and machine learning to the way we uh, you know negotiate contracts the way we 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 derive insights uh, from our contracts from our past contracts and negotiating future contracts but um um you know uh, even at a broader level um you will now see a lot of firms um you know in in india as well as abroad i know for example allen and overy has this program where i think they realize the importance of technology and they've been setting up these uh, incubators uh where they actually bring on board uh, you know certain young or startup companies to actually see what kind of technology can be you know rolled into the way they actually conduct their business if i were to you know evangelize what the legal industry could be in the next 20 or 30 years and i'm not saying i have all the answers but <laughs> it's 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 actually quite exciting because 
you read of all of this artificial intelligence and you know machine learning uh, being able to actually um, you know draft arguments for you so you basically put in a certain set of facts and then you know the the, the computer or the machine is actually going to uh, you know uh, pull out arguments for you if you take it one step further um, there's there's also some evangelism on even judgments uh, being uh, you know rendered using artificial intelligence and uh, machine learning while i think we're still far away from that but if you look at simpler uh, offenses being agitated for example you know speeding tickets or parking fines and things like that a lot of the countries mm. have actually you know um, um tried to streamline that by you know just using uh, technology so we could we could very well be looking at a world where especially in a country like india where the uh, where the judicial system is so overburdened with you know hundreds of thousands of cases um i think the next decade appears very very exciting as to as to how what what that can do for the legal industry in general and just to share the the last year since the pandemic and the lockdown happened at least in india a lot of the courts and the tribunals in india have actually taken to uh, you know virtual uh, virtual hearings and that's that's it's really allowed a lot of the case uh, backlog to actually be be eased for uh, the courts uh, leading to faster justice for uh, people so as I, said, i don't i don't have all of the answers but sometimes you know you can just keep evangelizing and uh, you know I, i think i could perhaps have enough to write a script of a, of a black mirror episode someday <laughs> i said well it was interesting you saying that i never really sort of thought about it in that way of you know things like speeding fines and parking fines and whatever um you know using technology using ai to process those things and it actually um brought, brought me back to a couple of weeks ago um where we got a uh, we accidentally drove in a in a bus area um in the city and got a fine for that which was all done you know by cameras by technology and uh, right you know even though it's annoying <laughs> um it, it's interesting to 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 sort of think about it in that way of like okay that that's a you know a a it's sort of civil infringement that is is being processed and and done you know all by technology i mean it's it's literally just pictures and then you you go online and and do the fine and that's it so but yeah i think i think that's a really interesting point to see how you know that basically can grow from there how do you how do you do that and then you think about data and and privacy and everything like that um absolutely excellent well look i mean here's the space for you now to ask me a couple of questions based on you know what we discussed today so fire away so uh, i know as part of your role nathan at uh, uh, at mla i'm sure you interview um, you know a, a, a lot of people including millennials and during those conversations um i'm just curious to know what are what are the aspirations of a millennial when they are now looking for a particular role particularly within the legal industry oh, that's an interesting question um i think it's still really varied i think what we have seen more and more are people aligning their lifestyle with work over work being their lifestyle i think if you look at previous generations um you know i think there's there's huge amounts of disparity with with the ways of working compared to say baby boomer sorry baby boomers 
But, um, right. you know, if you look at maybe Gen X, um, where there, there can be some similarities, I think that generation, you know, work is still a big sort of pillar of, of life and you kind of fit everything around work. Whereas I think for millennials, you know, a lot of the driver is saying, well, this is, this is what I want to change. It's, you know, this is my job, this is my role. And how can how can I align that with that? And that's in so many different ways. I mean, I think even if I look at myself, you know, I've always wanted to be able to like travel and work in places, and I've managed right. to do that in my career. I've been very lucky. Um, you know, much as the same way people maybe want to start a family and and live out of the city, or you know, maybe want to. Some people obviously are, are financially driven, which is you know again a common sort of um driver between generations but i think there's a lot of focus on i have this goal because of xyz and and work is i'm going to bring my work to align with that over this is what the role is and i have to change my life to do that um and i just think the more disaster we see the more experiences we have um that you know people take that view where life is short and want you know want to be happy i think people are are, are more driven in in that way and i think we we just touched upon this a little bit while we were discussing earlier but you know we were talking about how it may have been difficult for you know to onboard people during the pandemic time you know in a in an, in an extremely virtual mode and particularly for you know law firms or in-house legal teams um you know personalism becomes a very important factor particularly when it comes to, you know, integrating one, uh, you know, with their with their teams, you know, uh, taking on L&D programs, training, et cetera. Um, what what is what is your experience been uh, really, you know, working with the law firms and the in the in-house legal teams and the way they have actually onboarded and made sure that their new recruits have been, you know, properly integrated into into the teams? Is, is has that been a challenge or is that something that's that's been overcome because of the work from home protocols? Yeah, it's a, again a really, really great question. I think the it's such an example of the pandemic. I mean, I think that you know, firstly, I'd say I think law firms generally have done a really great job of of addressing these issues and and doing their best and being creative. I know there have been tons of people involved in in at all sorts of firms doing different things, and there's been a lot of hard work put in. Um, and I think if you think back to the start of the, the global pandemic, you know, I, I think everybody expected hiring to just be completely frozen for a year. And after a few right. months, it, it really switched and, and, you know, all transactional practices basically became hugely busy, um, you know, throughout the world. Um, and I think that's where, you know, this remote onboarding experience really came into play. Um, I don't think it's easy, you know, I think, I think it's very yeah. hard to build culture and build engagement and, um, you know, feel part of something um, in a fully remote environment. Um, you know, I think it's, it takes a lot of structure and a lot of planning, which obviously takes time from individuals within organisations to, to implement that. And that's not only just, you know, setting up calls with the new partners, but also, you know, looking at those right. skills gaps, looking at training, how do you keep that delivery? How do you, you know, sort of show the person you've hired that what they've got into is is good and positive and everything they were expecting. Um, 
you know, I think we've seen a lot of movement as well between geographies. That's been an interesting right. trend over the past year of people either returning, you know, to their, their home countries or cities or, you know, wanting to be in a different city for whatever reason. And again, that's where all of that onboarding and remote working um, experience has really played in. Um, I think that, you know, people are very used to it, but I think we're also getting to a point now where people do crave some human interaction and, and when it's getting safer to do so, I think that's where that's where the time investment will be. You know, in my mind, and I was actually writing something about this the other day, that I think that we will, office time will be very much focused on sort of in-person meetings, client meetings, you know, whatever, um, to, to really facilitate human interaction over sort of substantive work. And I think the work from home bit will be when you get all of your admin done. So I think your the way you structure your to-do list, the way you work will be different. Um, because, you know, I've, I've even started going to the office a little bit more and it's very much a, a social day. Um, you know, yes. it's, it's still work focused, but it's building that rapport with new team members. It's addressing training issues, looking at Absolutely. Um, you know, processes we need to improve that you just, you can't always do over the phone or over a Zoom. Um, and I think that's, you know, again, when we talking about earlier, how we're going through an experience now, we're still not finished with that experience. And I still think there'll be change coming. Yeah. So even at, at Factor is actually one of our challenges, um, you know, which we will now see how it pans out is that, um, this year, we've decided to actually recruit about 150, uh, you know, management trainees from, mm -hmm. uh, you know, different uh, backgrounds. And uh, while they're coming into a communications consulting role, we've got candidates, uh, you know, from backgrounds uh, spanning, you know, uh, you know, automobile engineering to MBA in finance to, uh, you know, agriculturists. Uh, and this is all being done so that, you know, each uh, sector, uh, uh, you know, where our clients are, are there uh, can be can be serviced by perspectives of these people. But I think you, you rightly mentioned that the challenge is going to be uh, to see as to how well we can, you know, train and integrate uh, all of these people, particularly where they come from such a diverse background into into the culture and and the the the, the value system of uh, the company. So um, yeah, I mean, let's see how that pans out. Hopefully, uh, with with India now, I think stepping up their uh, game on on you know getting everybody vaccinated. Um, we're only praying that, you know, we can resume going back to office at least once a week, like you guys, hopefully in the next, uh, you know, two to three months. Absolutely. Brilliant. Well, look, Malik, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate your time. It was, it was a great conversation. and you It was. Really it really was, Nathan. Points. And thank you. Thank you for having me. And uh, great. I look forward to keeping in touch. Absolutely. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Have a great thank day you. and stay well. Thank you for listening to Millennial Murmurs. Join us next time as we help you take steps to better navigate your legal career.